as everyone continues to arrive, it is our, our time to begin. Uh, so let's begin with our initial uh, sitting, <clears throat> which is a way of setting down as best we can all that we're holding, um, reaching for, carrying from the past, at least setting it down for a, a moment and to open to what is as difficult as it might be or as beautiful as it might be and to see what wants to move into that space that's made. Our sitting is quite simple, actually. <clears throat> There's no demand or even request that you engage in some complex or esoteric meditation practice, but that you do find a seat and that you take it and you sit upright, a breathing body, a body that carries your own history, <clears throat> longings, fears, yearnings, love and passions, angers and frustrations, life. And simply rest in the presence of stillness and silence, but offering yourself completely to the moment, bringing yourself completely as if our lives depended on it, since they do. All lives depend on this ability to be actually and clearly and wisely and compassionately present.
in our beginning verse now. With me vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all beings. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all beings. Welcome everyone. It's good to be connected today, uh, wherever you are, whatever situation you find yourself in. Uh, we, we know we're, even if you're not in um, Minneapolis or Atlanta or a place in, uh, in Los Angeles in which difficult things are happening right at this moment. Whatever country you're in, I know that they're, they're challenging things. And Jessica asked me before we began how I was doing. And specifically, I think in regard to uh, my father's death just a month ago and how I was doing. And I said that I seem to be doing okay, the, the difficulties of loss and grief were there, um, but they weren't as difficult as in my body as the painful things I see going on around me. The inability to be with my mother and my sister and my father as he passed was well, certainly a, a loss. I wish I could have physically been there, but that's not as difficult as, as I watched it all unfold on Zoom. It's not as difficult as watching what I actually see on television because it's clean, it's, it's personal, it's real. It was within a context of love and care. And yes, it was a deep loss, but there was something real about it and some of this other feels unreal and yet it's also in my body and that's what i want to speak about today um, because i i told aaron last night this is so so difficult i what am i supposed to say and i met this sort of impossible choice that i know a, a lot of us uh, feel if I speak about racism, I can just go on and on about the same old thing that you see and read and hear and we're debating and should be debating and should be part of our discourse. But I won't be adding anything. If I speak about the difficulties of a pandemic, which I've been speaking about some, I still have to come back to 
we continue to practice no matter what. Even if the sun comes up in the west, the bodhisattva has only one way. We speak about the inconceivable complexities and difficulties, tragedies, and even horrors of uh, our leadership at the highest levels. It's not something new and not something we need to keep going over and over. So I find myself in sort of an impossible situation, and yet I have to offer something. If you were to go to the website for the Buddhist Peacemaker Order, which is originally developed by Bernie Glassman, carried forward by his students, and including his wife now, Eve Marco, the vision for the Buddhist Peacemaker Order is this. Listen to the sentence and imagine it in terms of what we are living in right now. We envision an enlightened society where suffering is transformed into wisdom and compassion. And all beings live in harmony and are relieved of the afflictions of hunger, war, and disease. Spirituality and service are tools we use to help all beings find freedom, regardless of race, religion, ability, gender, or nationality. It's quite clear and a beautiful aspiration. And I can feel in my body, this is my emphasis today, in my body, a kind of a sinking. Is that possible? Is that wildly optimistic? It's certainly in line with my vow, and I'm sure for many of you, it might be. But it seems so far away from where we are right now. And I know I and some of you may be suffering from what I call a dimming of any brightness of the future. And I don't mean to be discouraging, that's not my point, um, but to turn toward the reality of this sort of dimming of the brightness. That vision is based on three tenets, uh, three foundational principles of the Buddhist peacemaker order. And they're the foundation of all the practice, really. Not knowing, start with beginner's mind. In other words, don't go into a situation in which peace is necessary or a struggle is being addressed or conflict is being mediated. Don't go with an idea. Open your heart, open your mind, attend to your body, not knowing. It's the beginner's mind. Number two, bearing witness with your eyes and your ears, with your whole body, attend to actually what's happening. And sometimes that's difficult. Uh, what we meet is quite profound, disturbing, triggering, not knowing, so we can actually bear witness. And then compassionate action might arise from that place rather than going in with an agenda, which we see all around us, without paying attention to actually what's happening, but to our reactivity, and then moving, not out of compassionate action, but out of self-centered action, sometimes hateful action, sometimes fearful action, and they may look exactly the same. Some of you are probably 
familiar with um, a new and important book entitled My Grandmother's Hands, written by, I'm not sure I pronounce the name properly, but um, Resmaha Menachem. And it's about the embodiment of racialized trauma. And I want to read the first small section that the way the book begins, because it's an invitation to the same practice in an embodied way that we all have to engage in. The author says, as you experience this book, he didn't say read it, <laughs> as you experience this book, you'll learn to pay attention to your body. And then there are three sections. If you have a white body, there will be times when it will be re reflexively, it will reflexively constrict in order to protect you from some of the truths you'll encounter. This constriction will be followed by a thought, such as, I'm not like that, I'm a good person, or white body supremacy has nothing to do with me, or this isn't about me because I don't belong to a racist organization. When this occurs, just noticing that you're experiencing without doing anything about it. Don't try to undo the constriction. Don't try to hold on to it either. Just watch your body closely and notice what sensations, impulsions, and emotions arise. Don't take the reflexive thoughts seriously either. Don't try to support them. Don't debate them. Don't act on them at all. Just observe them as they arise and note any images or other thoughts that may follow. So that's the first section. Do you hear the instruction for embodied meditation, actually? Secondly, if you have a black or other dark body, there will be times when your body will experience a sudden shock of recognition or understanding. Things you hadn't fully grasped before may suddenly become clear. This might be followed by a rush of energy in the form of joy or anger or outrage or a felt sense of clarity and rightness. Let yourself experience these sensations fully, but don't hang on to them. Let them move into and through your body like a wave, then let them go. A similar instruction. And thirdly, if you're a public safety professional, you may experience both sets of emotions, excuse me, sensations and thoughts. When one appears, allow it to flow fully into your body and mind without doing anything about it. And then let it go like a steadily shrinking image in your rear view mirror. Whatever your profession or skin color, as you read this book, at times you may sense profound hope, relief, or both. Let yourself fully experience these as they arise. Then let them go as well. So I was obviously moved as I read just that beginning, just that introduction, just that invitation. 
because it was so closely echoes our own practice uh, within an embodied uh, sense of what we're all experiencing right now. As I've often said about the things that uh, arise around us, our, our practice, or, or me personally as a Zen teacher, I, I don't have answers for these things. I, I don't know what to do. But I don't have the luxury of not doing anything. And therein lies the, the difficulty. And so I have to pay attention to my body. And all of Zen practice is an invitation to use your body, to sit in a certain way, to bow in a certain way, to chant, to use your body to wake up to the present moment, to let go of all the ideas that you cling to, beginner's mind, to bear witness to what's happening, notice the arising and passing of sensations, as the author said, so that compassion and action might arise instead of reactivity. Two classical references just, just to support and encourage this way of thinking. And the Mumen Khan, or the Gateless Gate, which is one of the collections of the ancient uh, koans or our ancestor stories from China primarily. There is um, one case, which is, um, once again, these are just stories or teaching pointers, and they're often uh, difficult and challenging for students. Case five from the Gateless Gate um, is sometimes titled uh, Kyogen, who's the teacher in this case, Kyogen's man up a tree. Here's the case. Master Kyogen said, it's like a person up a tree hanging from a branch by their mouth. Can you imagine this? Up a tree gris grasping with your mouth. Their hands cannot grasp a branch. Their feet can't reach the ground or the branch below. Suppose there's another person under the tree who asks, what's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of practice? If the person doesn't respond, they go against the wish of the questioner and their commitment to the Dharma. If they do respond, they fall and lose their life. At such a time, what should a person do? How should they respond? I won't go into all the classical aspects of this koan. It's enough just to imagine this kind of impossible and uh, almost silly sounding situation. But part of the koan is speaking about how little we can make a difference by just yammering on about things, and yet we have to do something. And the most, uh, the, the most classical just, uh, commentary on this case, Mumon, who's the, the teacher who commented, says, even if your eloquence flows like a river, it is of no use. Even if you can expound the whole body of a sutra, it's of no avail. If you can respond to it fittingly, then you'll give life to those who have been dead and put to death those who have been alive. If, however, you're unable to do this, wait for Maitreya to come and ask him. In other words, we can talk and talk about this stuff and it's not gonna help very much in a certain way. 
But if you can respond fittingly, an appropriate response, if you can come forward and do something in some sphere of influence where you actually live something real and good and appropriate and compassionate in your life, maybe the small arena where it seems like you're not making much of a difference, he says you'll give life to those who have been dead. In other words, you'll wake up any parts of the life around you that have been contracted. And you'll put to death those who have been alive. In other words, you'll maybe soften or dispel some of the ways in which we come at each other, which are deadening and constrictive and violent. But if you're unable to do this, you're going to wait for Maitreya. That's the Buddha of the future. And then you can ask him. And it seems like we're, we're often waiting. And even more... Uh, contemporary, but still ancient classical text, <clears throat> excuse me, not more contemporary, more ancient classical, but Western text in the Odyssey. When the, the heroes attempting to return home, they leave uh, a particular island and they have to go through a narrow strait in which on one side, Silas, the six-headed, 12-limb, sharp-toothed, ravenous monster who lives in a cave. And the ship is going to have to pass that. And constantly hungry, she strikes out and grabs the sailors. And it's an awful scene. On the other side, a narrow strait. Charybdis, an even more terrifying prospect because there's this huge sucking whirlpool that pulls everything into it. And you've got to go between them. Odysseus has to negotiate his way in this ancient story between these two horrifying obstacles, choosing how it's going to go. And it sounds a little bit like a science fiction movie, you know, even though it's an ancient text, but in Norman Fisher's commentary on this, he says, while we will all probably get through life without ever encountering a sucking whirlpool or a six-headed monster, I don't know, None of us will escape the necessity of sailing through a narrow passage with disaster lurking on both sides, the way through seeming so slim that we can't avoid the margins. There comes a time in every life where we're faced to choose between impossible alternatives. And so here we are. We can debate and say, this is the right way. That's the wrong way. These are good people. Those are bad people. This is the way it should have gone. This is the way it's all been said and it'll be said again. And it's not that it's not worth uh, discussing, but it's not what our practice offers us, which is an opportunity to open to a larger space to bear witness deeply to what's needed in front of us, and then to act, even if it seems almost impossible. So that our vision of an enlightened society where suffering is transformed into wisdom and compassion, where people do live in harmony, and they're relieved of afflictions, regardless of their race, religion, abilities, gender, or nationality, is actually possible. The same author, who wrote My Grandmother's Hands about the, the embodied trauma of racial injustice, um, 
there's an, another book uh, he's written called Rock the Boat, how to deal with conflict. And in it, uh, he spoke directly to what we can do now together here uh, in our inquiry process. He says, our virtues are wrapped inside of our limitations. Our virtues are wrapped inside of our limitations. It is only when we are in close proximity to others that we begin to intimately explore the boundaries of our virtues by slamming into our limitations. And I don't know about you, but I feel like these days I'm constantly slammed. And we see the results of other people being slammed by their limitations. And rather than exploring the boundaries of their virtue, they seem to keep slamming and practicing their limitations. Within each part of us, even if it's small and contracted, if everything has the nature of a Buddha, that jewel, that possibility is there. It can be liberated with practice. And all that may seem hopeless or difficult at times, it's not. It's not impossible. So I don't want to be discouraging, but I also want to be honest about the difficulty, the seeming impossibility. You're hanging from a limb by your mouth, and if you say something, you die. If you don't say something, uh, you completely um, fail your, your work in this world. You have to navigate a narrow strait between two impossibly difficult and dangerous things, but you have to move forward. And here we are. And only by practice and having some form and some companionship can we help to liberate our virtues, which are wrapped inside of these limitations. And that only happens if we're in close proximity to others. And so we come together in inquiry to even though we're maybe far apart, we can meet. And, and I want to say that uh, to debate politics, uh, racial inequality, the horrors of what we've seen, the, the pain of a pandemic, isn't our method. But as the author suggests in looking at embodied reactivity, can we do just what the Buddhists suggested when was asked, how should we meet difficult emotions? He said, gaze upon them with kindness and remain still. He didn't mean do nothing. I'll read Menachem again. When this occurs, just notice what you're experiencing without doing anything about it. Don't try to undo the constriction. Don't try to hold on to it either. Just watch your body closely and notice what sensations, impulses, and emotions arise. Don't take the reflexive thoughts seriously either. Don't try to support them. Don't debate them. Don't act on them at all. Just observe them as they arise and note any images or other thoughts that may follow. And over time, with these kinds of practices, it's possible to open the larger space where our virtues, goodness, the virtues like the paramitas, generosity, ethical conduct, patience, wholesome energy, our ability to be wise and mindful can move 
And that happens, especially when we're in this close proximity where we can intimately explore the boundaries of our virtues, where our edges are by slamming into our limitations. So here we find ourselves. I wish I had answers or things that would make the situation okay, but that's not possible. But I do have my own heart and mind and body full of all these things, because here I am a white privileged man who's not afflicted by COVID-19, who feels in conflict with my own leadership of my own country. I mean, every single case of the sort of three large things that are looming with us right now and many more, I don't, I'm not afflicted by in the same way. And yet I have to do something. So I make myself available uh, lovingly and energetically to meet you today. Uh, and if you'd like, please raise your hand. <clears throat> and Jessica will help you come forward. <clears throat> Pardon me. So we can bump into each other and maybe find the uh, edges of our limitations and where the uh, virtue might arise. It's needed in a world that seems sorely lacking. Although I know many of you have seen some of the images of a beautiful white people are also coming together and we need those positives. We need, as my friend DeWitt Jones says, to celebrate what's right with the world also, because that's the, the fuel and nourishment that helps us move when it seems like it's impossible to move from the difficult situations. Hi, Penelope. You're muted still. Unmute yourself there. Are you in the bottom left-hand corner, the little microphone? Click it. All right. I'm there sorry. There you go. <laughs> Got right. it. Um, hello, and thank hello. you so much for being with us today or having all of us together. Um, I just wanted to relate a, a strange incident that happened that speaks. It was like a precursor for all the awful things that have happened. But Friday evening, um, we were going for a little ride around the neighborhood like we do here in New Braunfels. Um, and there's deer in our neighborhood. That It's like Nara or something in Japan. You know, there's deer that are just like pets of something. They're just everywhere. Like right now, there's a fawn, a new fawn, and the mother right behind my kitchen window. And, you know, they they just live with us. You know, they're all friends so anyway we were driving and I saw a deer approaching a big doe and this was we were in the street and she was at this kind of the you know 70 50 feet away or something and I thought what's hap what is that deer look like she has a red flag underneath her I mean does that look like 
like a red flag. And as she walked closer, it was the horror of it was just, you, you couldn't grasp it. Like you couldn't grasp what was happening. And then finally, you saw that the deer had, was the innards of the deer were coming out, but the deer was walking and looked like just the shock in the deer's eyes, but it wasn't falling down or, so other people came by and, and we said, what do we, is this right? Can we, is that what's happening? And they said, yes, that the deer had uh, become impaled on the fence Mm. And, you know, so two men had gotten the deer off, but the deer was managed to walk along still, but the deer had been pregnant. So the, that was, the baby was coming. It was just, it was just the most horrible, violent thing that you could have even imagined happening to see that. And I just, I had to go home immediately and I didn't just like you're talking about when something horrible happens and I, the next morning I was going for my walk and I thought, how can I ever get this? How can I deal with this? How can I work with this horrible thing? Because someone else had called the police and they came and put the deer down and um, you know, I didn't do that. I would have done that or, called the game warden, but um, someone else had done that. So um, anyway, but I remembered in our inquiry what you had said, um, that one of the teachers said, what happens when you meet some horrible thing, suffering some terrible thing, what do you do? And the answer was welcome it. Mm-hmm. And so I did that and it was like truly like the deer walked into my heart mm. I just I mean it was we're talking about the body that's why I'm bringing this up because this these were such tremendous feelings in the body and um, it's all visceral really it's so visceral but it was like my heart opened and I know this sounds strange but it, it really was like the heart opened and the deer walked in and then it's like not peace came over me, but I guess you would call it just the pure acceptance. Mm-hmm. You know, that yes, we can, we love the deer and they're beautiful and charming, but you know, they have the lit mankind has come and, you know, built fences in their habitat and it's difficult for them to navigate sometimes. Most of the time it's good, but. Sometimes there's a tragedy. That practice um, realization that came out of a very difficult situation, whether it's watching this uh, horrible, horrible thing with the deer or what we see on videos on TV and on and on and on, the mass graves in Brazil, the knee on the net, all those things. There is a way to, to welcome it, not because it's good, not because of what you want, but because it's the way of the not knowing, it's the bearing witness so that something can not be caught in an old reactivity. So thank you for that reminder as an actual lived experience, not just an idea. Yes. And like you 
tell us repeatedly, you know, when we, the inquiry where you talked about what good is your practice or what is, you know, what, and you said it's like a little toehold when you're climbing the mountain, you know, it just gives you a tiny little toehold. And so. And sometimes we feel like we're sliding back. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. But if without the practice, you would sink into despair completely. At least I would in this day and age, it seems like. So yeah, there, there are moments, aren't there? Well, anyway, I just wanted to share that because um, it's somehow or another was so strange that that happened right before yeah. murders. And, you know, I experienced that turn of what it's like even in the face of horror. So that's, that's an important piece. Thank you. And I apologize for being in I'm at my, you know, summer house. And the only place I can do this is in my closet. So I apologize for being in the closet. No problem. <laughs> However we can bump into each other is good. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Ray. More from San Antonio. Yes. <laughs> Same area here. Yes. <laughs> Penelope usually lives in San Antonio. She's just in New Braunfels right now. Mm -hmm. um, I really appreciate whether you shared with us. Um, really resonate not knowing, bearing the witness and compassion. Because I just have, I didn't put those names, but I just have that experience in my own last week uh, when I decided to move from my one close down one of my offices mm -hmm. in in San Antonio. And I and I have this street experience in my body of these three parts that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it was so um, a very I was very appreciative for my practice. Mm. So I know my practice allowed me and I was feeling basically immediately how my mind was going to this reactive pattern and immediately just going calm and staying this, just to be sitting and just to be with that, what mm -hmm. it was arising in my body. Mm -hmm. And that really helped to make the switch to really have this clinging and letting go. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, this, uh, what happened in this situation you know, I was, I was having, I didn't know what I was feeling, but I, when you were saying now about your body, so I was more in touch with that part of my, in my body, like what I was feeling. Um, you know, what I realizing that I was feeling all this tightness and constriction. And when I just checked last night, the video, the email that Peg sent with those videos, they were, different, the other side of the sure. picture, you know, completely my body relaxed and my heart just open so wide. And that's when I started saying, this is it. This mm -hmm. is what, when you say, bringing both together. That's right. And what Penelope was just talking about, unexpectedly something opens when you allow it to penetrate your heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that really started... I sent that video, that email 
or those videos or photos to many friends that I have. And it was amazing that I just have this response today. They say, thank you for sending and see the, this other part of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's what you're saying is just to be instead to get hooked in those feelings mm -hmm. is to see there is the other side too. That's right. You don't deny them, but you don't feed them. Exactly. You don't place other things just next to them. Mm -hmm. Not pushing it away, but next to them. Yes, and just embracing them. Mm -hmm. And what provides some sort of nourishment to your body that can feel enlivening and uplifting. Yes. Breathe a little more. Your body can relax mm -hmm. a little more. Not as a way to um, push away things that need to be addressed, but to actually give you the resources so you can address them. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I really appreciate that. Thank you so I much. You. Thank you so much. It's good to see you and hear from you. Me too. Hi, Karen. Oh, I'm unmuted. Hi, Flint. You are unmuted. Hi, I'm <laughs> unmuted. Hi. Um, are these American I, things resonating? Oh, hugely, hugely. And uh, I have a, I had an experience with a neighbor of mine recently that um, really uh, left me kind of struggling. Um, and it's connected to what you've been talking about. This is a man, he lives opposite me and, uh, I know something of his history. So I know something of his suffering and he's somebody who is against everything and everybody. I mean, he's very damning of, of people and, uh, every ism, you know, he's like every ist, you know, he's racist, he's sexist, he's homophobic, he's, he's a hard man to like. Mm -hmm. And yet, I, over the years, um, I mean, I've lived in this house now for <clears throat> well, 25 years, or I don't know, long, a lot of years. Mm -hmm. I've known him a long time, I knew his wife, and she's died. And, uh, and I know how isolated he is, and how desperately unhappy he is, and he doesn't understand the world he lives in now. You know, he's a man in his mid seventies and he's not a man of this time. You know, he, he struggles with everything <laughs> and everybody. Um, and yet, you know, over the years I've listened to him and anyway, a couple of times recently, and it happened for the second time a couple of days ago, I couldn't take it any longer. You know, I just had to say to him, John, I'm going in my house. I can't, I can't listen to this you know, he wears a hat with a confederate flag on it an it american confederate? confederate flag yeah 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 he collects all kinds of memorabilia he collects nazi memorabilia i mean it's just oh. beyond you know and uh, and i came in the house and i talked to ken i felt so horrible you know my body my body was just uh -huh. um because i know that that reactivity of mine is 
it's not helpful. In fact, I spoke to Morgan and Morgan in her, in her wisdom said, mum, it would be better not to talk to him at all because by leaving him like that, it's actually worse. So she's right. She's mm -hmm. completely right. You know, I'm, he, he was bewildered. He doesn't understand. <laughs> so I decided to write him a note and um, I just said, you know, I'm so sorry that a couple of times recently our conversations ended so abruptly. Um, and I said something about the, the negativity and the, the criticism of everybody and everything. I just couldn't take any longer. And I just said, take care, Karen, and put it in his door. Today, <laughs> today there's a hanging basket hanging outside my door. He's made them for me before. So he's filled, a, you know, like the hanging baskets with flowers. Yeah, the flowers? Yeah. Um, and it's his way of saying sorry. I know that. Or saying something. But when you were talking earlier about the body, I was thinking, is, I was thinking, I have to find a different way, Flint, of addressing this with him. You know, I want to find a different way of, inviting him and maybe you know maybe what i've said is already i don't know what it will have said done to him or said to him but i will talk to him again you know he's he's he lives across the road i want to thank him i tried i went to his door and knocked on his door and he didn't come to the door so i haven't been able to thank him for the basket but a part of me dreads meeting him because you know he will just start <laughs> on a barrage of criticism and negativity and I don't know how to intervene I get trapped I get frozen I yeah <laughs> like the person up the tree you don't know which way <laughs> exactly. to speak or not to speak exactly. and you, you can see the wisdom of your own daughter saying maybe it's just best to stay away and you can feel the the wisdom and the draw inside to say I'd like to meet him somehow absolutely you know, have you ever, have you ever done the, this may have no benefit whatsoever, but ever just said to him, what would feel satisfying? Because you know that I, I go away if we talk about all this other stuff, but also when I reached out and said, I'm sorry, it touched you in some way and you gave me a present. So there's a way we can connect. What would be satisfying in a world where you feel almost no satisfaction. That's a lovely question. You see what he says. It's not going to get worse. Sure. You yeah, may get the same old thing and then you can bow and step away. And... Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. at least he knows someone's, maybe no one ever asks him. Yeah. What and would be satisfying? And then everything that he does that is lovely, like the flowers, even if it's a smile, even if it's a wave. Yeah reinforce it yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna write a thank you note just in case i don't see him for a couple of days just so he knows how so that you I appreciate the idea that you'll change him because that's not your intention i know but oh oh it is well i know it's there but to give up the idea that you're going to change him that's not the point in fact that's a kind of a violence in a way but to open the possibility that he might be met. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Met by almost everything and everyone in the world right now. Yeah, met and there him. have been times when, when we've had a more kind of real conversation. 
That's right. But that's and that's when he's allowed me to see his vulnerability, which is, of course, why I go back. Right. And so you're in close proximity in that quote I did. And so uh, you're uh, exploring the boundaries of your virtue by slamming into each other. <laughs> Absolutely. That really, really resonated. And the virtue yeah, yeah. That might yeah. have or that he might have in there somewhere doesn't show. But yeah. you are slamming into each other. So you've been brought into each other's lives. See? Yeah. There it is in your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so, I can't tell you how, um, I, it feels like I'm just sat with you in my room, actually, talking to you. It's really strange. I haven't done so in real life many times. <laughs> it's, nice, isn't it? it's great. It's really great. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. And uh, yeah. I, I hope that uh, you, you find a way, and I hope he feels some relief of his own anguish. Yeah, me too. Me too. Thank you, Flynn. I'll let you know the outcome. Do. Do. Okay. Thank you very much. Do I need to do something now? I don't think so. I think that the moderator helps. Helps you step away and the next person step forward. Gosh, I was just thinking about Georgia yesterday and then she sent a text and here she is. I'm trying, I'm trying to unmute, unmute. Um, Unmuted, but I just don't see oh, you. Okay, well, I, I am here and I, um, I want to say, first of all, Flint, I did not know about your father and I, um, I, I have such great feeling for your loss. Thank um, you. You know, I have, for some reason, two days ago, I was thinking about you and I thought, gosh, you know, her father died suddenly yeah. and dramatically. There you are. <laughs> and um, that wasn't the same for my dad. And yet, you know, we share that loss. So. Yeah. And, and um, it, it uh, it's interesting to me because I think it, it sort of goes along with your, the theme today, um, the theme every day that we, um, we have to face that hard, mm -hmm. painful issue and find the joy in it. Find the goodness in it. Find the whatever it transforms. Um, it turns something. Yes. It may not feel good. It may not feel helpful at times, but it's but something turns, and we can fight it, or we can find a way to move with it. Right. And and learn from it. And, and um, we're generous to others with it. Yes. Well, so what we had a the family um, text thread that my mother started talking about the, the, the rioting and the uprest and, and she, you know, sent out a very um, general call for us to do something about it. And one of my sisters responded that her children were marching, but she couldn't do anything. And then someone talked about giving money and, but that doesn't really help. And I said, yeah, it does. If you give to Stacey Abrams and to Amy McGrath, but you know, and then a brother chimed in about how politics doesn't help the you know the family text mm -hmm. and um i you know was faced with that same old childish button that i have of of you know yeah get over it you republican or whatever i you know my snarky comment that i wanted to make but um in response to this i was able to to face it and say, you know, thank you, Robert, for pointing out that mother's message was far 
about far more than politics mm-hmm. and, um, and able to, and, and I did it during this inquiry discussion. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys for helping me face the hard part, both in the world, in my family, okay. within myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I absolutely love it that when you refer to Odysseus, Penelope gets on first. <laughs> so, you know, comes so thank you, Penelope. Yes, a little literary uh, thing there. But... Right, for calling Odysseus home. So thank you. And I love And I appreciate your, uh, just like Karen was talking about her neighbor, and sometimes it's her family. And it's, it's all around us, this kind of suffering, whether we call it politics or uh, the horrors of generations of racism, or yes. pandemic, on and on and on, or the simple loss of one's parent. Yeah. 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 So. Um, and this is a side note, but it's important. You know, I think you may have seen on Facebook that we had a little dog that showed up here that uh, followed Aaron home, and we weren't sure what to do with it, and we um, found its owner and all that. But it brought up everything. Oh, and it brought red dirt into the... Yeah, I brought up uh, uh, having to make a choice. Yeah. It was difficult. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I love you. Love you. <laughs> I think we maybe have time for one more. Eileen, hello. Hi, Flint. Um, I would like to talk a little bit more about the comment that you and a previous speaker were talking about how um, things really, you, you can't really try to make things change, talking about the neighbor across the way. Um, this some, or being in the tree by your teeth. Um, somehow, I um, uh, right now it is hard for me to see how things will change. To see it doesn't mean they won't. Just in me, as old as I am and having yeah. seen as yeah. much as I have, where you think that things are getting better and then you stand here today and you find out that things, yes. they haven't gotten better at all. This is horrible. That's it's probably always been horrible. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with this, I know it's kind of relying on memory or history, but with this feeling that things, I can't see how things can get better. It doesn't mean they won't. It just I'm just saying that I can't see how they will. And still I want to, do my part to, to be a part yes. of the m- movement towards these, these qualities of fairness and justice but, and, and equality and love and, and caring. But I get caught up with this thing about if you're, you have to try to change things. 
Absolutely. That's the compassionate action at the end of the tenants. And I don't really know what to do at all, except to, as we've talked today, to continue my practice, to try to do things in whatever small way I can, because I can't think of anything large. When I think of large things, I get a headache. That's why I said you have to start with your own sphere of influence, and it may seem small and very, very ineffective, but we have to do it there. The fact is, on the one hand, violence and strife and conflict and horrors are always going to happen. As long as they're human beings, this is what happens. And beauty and love and creativity and inconceivable good happens also. And one doesn't replace the other. They're both gonna happen how are you going to move with them? Know that yin-yang symbol. <laughs> there's a little bit of light in that dark side. And there's a little bit of dark in that light side, but it's always, yeah, that's always going to be there. And those of us that grew up in the 60s and 70s thought, well, maybe it'll all turn. Maybe a new age is coming. But it didn't. And we have to hope that something good. But that, it's like, Debbie S. Merwin saying, on the last day, I'll be planting a tree. He said, I know what's happening. I see what's happening with the environment. I understand it. And my practice is planting a tree. So that's what I'm going to be doing, even if we go down. And what is our vow to do good, even if the big picture doesn't turn like we hope? Because it's, we have to. Our life depends on it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. And one of the things that's important for us to remember um, in order for that to happen, and I know it seems petty, that, that was my trouble today. How can I speak about this and not seem ridiculous and petty and small? Uh, but let's at least uh, invoke the four practice principles in our final chant, because it does speak to um, how at least we can practice uh, with ourselves and with each other to bring forward virtue out of our limitations. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, Compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding the self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you very much. Practice well. Take good care of yourselves. Be kind to each other and pray and act as deeply as you can for peace and for justice and for goodness. Thank you so much, Flint, and thank you everyone who so generously offered themselves today. Um, just as a reminder, Appamata um, operates completely on your generosity and this uh, space that was created 
by our teachers and this, this generosity uh, that Flint and Peg both give us are, are completely and utterly supported by your generosity. Um, and there's many ways to, to offer your generosity, like what you've done today, um, and coming forward and, and sharing yourself. Um, there's monetary ways as well. Um, and if you'd like to find out how to make a contribution monetarily, you can go to the Appamata website um, and just go straight to the contribute link on the Appamata website. Thank you all for joining and we'll see you next week.